This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you over. Welcome to Raw Beauty Talks. I'm your host, Erin Trelor. Ready to peer behind the highlight reel and all those polished pictures of the world's biggest influencers and wellness experts, we're going to uncover what beauty, health, and wellness truly means in today's world. As someone who really struggled with disordered eating and negative body image, I became a health coach because I'm passionate about redefining health and wellness so that it's less about the weight on the scale and more about how we feel. Let's pull back the curtain for some raw beauty talks. We have a super cool guest joining us on the show today. I actually hadn't heard of her until about a week ago, but when I came across her on Instagram, I immediately slid into her DMs and invited her to join me today because I think she has an idea that is going to grow really big. It's super on trend in wellness right now. And so I can't wait to introduce her to you. But before we dive into that, I want to talk about something that is all over TikTok, all over social right now. And it's so interesting. It's called Lucky Girl Syndrome. And essentially, these girls started talking about how they just believed that they were lucky, that they started embodying that, that they started telling everyone around them that they were so lucky. And in doing so, luck just started to flow their way. They just found themselves getting lucky all the time. So I heard one girl talking about this in one post, and I didn't know that this was something that everybody was talking about. And I was driving home from Whistler with Scott in the car, and we started talking about this concept of lucky girl syndrome. Why I found it so interesting is because one of my best friends, Cleo, She has always been so lucky. She has had lucky girl syndrome as long as I have known her. She tells everyone she's so lucky. And like, I can't even begin to explain how many times she has gotten lucky. Now, that being said, I think many of us believe that luck is a combination of preparation and the work that you're putting in with divine timing of some sort. Anyways, Cleo is incredibly lucky. Even at her wedding a few months ago, people were giving her horseshoes. And this was like a topic of conversation that kept coming up. So it got me thinking, is Cleo really that lucky? Or is it just that she's constantly looking for moments 
where she gets lucky. And because she's looking for it and she's shining the light on these moments and she's talking about it and she's sharing these moments that the luck just kind of keeps on building. This is the law of attraction. And so I got curious about it for myself. You know, if I just start talking about the fact that I'm lucky and I just start leaning into it and I start looking for all the moments when I get lucky, does this work? And it kind of does. <laughs> it kind of does work. But here's the thing. It doesn't mean that luck is always going to look like what you're imagining it to look like. So I can tell you there have been about five or six situations in the last couple of weeks where I have felt incredibly lucky. And I don't know if I would have labeled that if I wasn't playing around with this whole lucky girl syndrome, but it's lucky. I also had a moment where I talked about this briefly on the last podcast episode where we were off to Antigua and we got to the airport and we realized I, we, I realized I had left my carry-on bag at home. So Scott kind of like jokingly was like, well, I guess lucky girl syndrome isn't actually a thing. But then I realized that there was nothing in the bag that I actually needed. So I was like, look, I am lucky. It's incredibly lucky. That bag was just full of self-care stuff that I can get by without, you know, my computer, my phone, my passport, my documents, even my makeup bag was in my other little carry-on bag. And so I really, you know, got lucky and I didn't actually need that whole suitcase. It worked out better than I could have imagined or that I could have planned. So here's my challenge for you. I want all of you to lean into this whole lucky girl syndrome thing. And I just want you to start tuning into all the ways that you get lucky in the coming weeks, months, year. And I want you to tell people that you are a really lucky individual. I want you to just embody that and exist as if it's true and then see what starts showing up for you. So I don't know if you've ever heard the saying that luck is a combination of preparation and opportunity which I wholeheartedly believe in. So some people are saying that this lucky girl syndrome is wrapped up in a lot of privilege because there is a certain amount of privilege that comes with having the opportunity and the ability to prepare to the level in which things start to present as luck. So I'm just going to state that and put that out there because there's truth to that. There's absolutely truth to that. And I'm also going to invite you to tune into and to notice where you get lucky in your own life. I think you can do this with a lot of things, right? You can say that you have an abundant life. You can say that you are so loved. And the more that we start looking for these things and the more that we start embodying this version of ourselves, the more that we attract these things in our life. So lucky girl syndrome. I'm just putting it out there, just planting that seed. You can take it, you can leave it. I would be so curious to know though, if you notice yourself getting lucky, if you notice yourself having those little horseshoe moments, like my friend Cleo, hit me up in my DMs and let me know because I'm really curious if this works for you. Let's dive into the show and 
I want to introduce you to our guest today. Her name is Elizabeth Gascoigne. She's the 25-year-old founder and CEO of a company called Absence of Proof that hosts non-alcoholic events around New York and LA, hopefully expanding further than that. They essentially do pop-ups in coffee shops and at speakeasies where they host these fun, sexy, chic events that don't include alcohol. I think this is something that's challenging to do in a city like New York where the nightlife is somewhat unmatched. There's always things to do. There's definitely like an alcohol-centric vibe going on there. And yet... Elizabeth has been featured in Fortune magazine. Her events have now expanded into LA. I think it just continues to build on this trend that I'm seeing towards a more non-alcoholic, sober curious approach to life life, wellness, all of the things. Elizabeth's joining me on the show today to talk about her relationship with alcohol, which has looked different in different seasons of her life. We're going to talk about how she moved from like raving party girl to completely sober to introducing a little bit of alcohol back in her life and now back to a place where she is alcohol free. We'll talk about how she navigated things like relationships in these various seasons. And she shares her favorite mock cocktails, non-alcoholic drinks, and inspiring resources to support you if this is something that you're interested in leaning into further. So welcome to the show, Elizabeth. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. I'm so curious. Have you been sober for a long time? Are you sober even? Do you drink ever? Tell us a little bit about the background and your story or relationship with alcohol. Yeah. So I actually identify with saying that I'm alcohol free. I don't like to say I'm sober just because um, I want to be respectful of people who for them sobriety is not a choice and it's about being in active recovery and all of that. So I, I like to be a little bit careful with my words. I think technically I'm sober, meaning I don't consume alcohol, but more alcohol free or sober curious is how I would identify. And that not has not always been true. So I actually went completely sober when I was 19 because I felt like alcohol was a very big issue in my life. And I was sober for three years. I was very into being sober and I did kind of struggle to be around alcohol. And then I reintroduced alcohol in moderation when I was about 21 or 22, I think 22. And I felt like I had a very different relationship with alcohol. Like I was able to moderate. I wasn't getting blacked out, all of the things, but I also just didn't feel like alcohol was beneficial. So that's why I removed it about a year ago and have been alcohol-free since. Wow. You've done so much in a year of being alcohol-free. That's absolutely wild. Okay. I want to go back to when you were 19 and you said you were drinking or you you stopped drinking at that point. Mm -hmm. What was your relationship with alcohol like at that point? What did that look like? Yeah. So I was definitely a party teen, I would say. I was very rebellious. I snuck out. I had not dealt with a lot of the issues that I have now dealt with. And so I think I used alcohol and weed also as a coping mechanism for some of the things that I hadn't emotionally worked through. And that looked like partying a lot. It looked like going to a lot of raves. It looked like you know drinking a lot. And I just got to a point when I was 19 where I was like, my life does not look the way that I want it to look. I wasn't getting into the colleges that everyone else was. I didn't have healthy relationships. I was dating people that I shouldn't be dating, you know, all of the things. And I didn't know what was causing it, but I knew that drugs and alcohol were not helping. And so the easiest thing was not to try to implement a new life routine, but instead remove the toxic things that I know were present. So alcohol was kind of the first to go. And was this just a self-awareness that you had or were your parents sitting you down and like, Elizabeth, you got to sort your shit out, girl. You're (laughs) heading in a direction you don't want to be heading in. 
Yeah. You know, I think my parents, I love them so much. I think they were maybe not oblivious. I think they probably knew more than they want to admit, but we did not have a talk about it relationship, I would say. I think they were very concerned, but to their credit, you know, and also I was like quite the sassy teenager. I was not very approachable to, to talk to. <laughs> and I didn't have great relationships with my parents in my teenage years. And so what I will say is that they got me into therapy very young. Like I think they were like, something is wrong. We don't know how to help. We don't know the extent of what's going on. Let's hire professionals. And I think that was the best thing that they could have done. And so I started therapy when I was 15 and completely changed my life. And it was actually more of my therapist that was like, you need to get your shit together. She actually, I remember the specific therapy session where she drew like a diagram of what I alcohol and drugs were doing to my body. And she was like, this will kill you. This is not an optional thing. Wow. So yeah, shout out to her. Shout out to the therapists in our yes, lives. Exactly. Yes, they're very important. Saving lives one <laughs> diagram at a time, honestly. Literally. Have you seen the documentary Stuts? No, I'll have to write that down. What is you that about? You have to watch it. It's Jonah Hill and his therapist. And he does a documentary basically on his therapy sessions with Phil Stutz, who's a pretty well-known therapist, psychologist, I believe. And Phil is struggling with, I can't remember what, Parkinson's, I think, early onset Parkinson's. So he has trouble writing. His hand's really shaky, but he draws all of these diagrams to help explain the methodologies and the teachings that he's giving to his clients. He writes them on these index cards. And so it's such a beautiful way of taking these abstract ideas and then essentially like boiling them down to what can be seen on a little card. And it's just a beautiful representation of what a healthy, good relationship can look like between a therapist and a client. And so I loved it. It's on Netflix. That's Everyone needs to watch it. Yeah. It's on my list. Yeah. I can replace The Bachelor with that this week. <laughs> <laughs> hey, there's room for both. There's room for Absolutely. both. Okay. So you're this rebellious teen. You're heading in a direction that's not necessarily aligned with where you want to end up and you decide to get sober. What's so interesting is I was listening to the Huberman Lab podcast on alcohol and what it does to our body. And he talks about this impact that alcohol has on a developing brain and the fact that for those who start drinking alcohol before the recommended legal age, which is like all of us, we were all drinking peach coolers in the park in backpacks walking around at the age of 12. Well, maybe not everyone, but I was. So the likelihood of you having an alcohol disorder, it increases exponentially when you start drinking, when you have a developing brain. And I was just listening to this podcast and all the facts and statistics on it and was like, oh my God, what were we doing to ourselves at that age? It was just normal. I know that podcast episode, it hits different. It's, uh, (laughs) you're just listening and you're like, I was doing what? And like, is it too late? Like that one, if you want to stop drinking, go listen to that and you will never drink again. (laughs) I'm going to link down below. And I love it because he, you can tell he feels bad sharing the science behind what alcohol does to the body. He's like, I know a lot of you like drinking. And so I'm not (laughs) trying to say never drink again, but I got to tell you the facts about what it does. I'm going to link to that episode down below. I know a lot of you like the humor lab podcast and the science behind all of these conversations. So tune into that. Anywho, okay, so you decide to get sober. When you're going to raves and going to party and stuff like that, how did that impact your relationships at that time of life when you decided to get sober? Yeah, it's a great question. And I wish that I could say that it didn't have an impact, but it absolutely did. I lost a lot of friends. I had a really big like 
come to Jesus moment with myself of like, who do I want to be now that I'm not this like party cool girl? Like I really cared about what other people thought and removing alcohol at 19 was like definitely not was not going to win me any cool points with my peer group, which is unfortunate that that was the way that it was. But yeah, I had a lot of friends that were like, maybe it wasn't even malintentioned, but it was like, what do we even do with you anymore? Like, what are our activities? Like, we're very confused. (laughs) And so I will say that I, I lost a lot of friends, but I also gained, this is so cheesy, but I really gained a strong relationship with myself and my ability to understand that like, I don't need other people's approval for what I want to do with my life. Like I can be a yoga instructor, which is what I spent that time doing. I can start a YouTube channel and that's how I learned about content creation. Like all of these things that are paying off in tenfold now in my life, my first couple of years of being sober, that's where all that stuff was born. Wow. That's so powerful. I love that. That even though you lost some relationships or some friendships, you gained a stronger relationship with yourself. And that always pays back in dividends. Always, always, always. It can be so scary though, because one of our greatest human needs is to connect with others. So I know when I'm talking to women who are interested in even reducing their alcohol consumption, this is the number one thing that comes up. I'm not sure how I'll deal with social settings. I'm worried about what other people will think. And there's an element of like not wanting other people to feel uncomfortable when you're not drinking, like not wanting to impact their choices around alcohol or not wanting to change the tone of the evening or the like whatever it is that you're doing. So like, can you share any tips around how you actually navigated those moments and how you do now? Yeah, I would say that now I feel so grateful to have a friend group who could truly not care if I'm drinking or not. Like they just love me for me and they're going to be supportive of whatever I do. And I feel very lucky. Um, But it's also been very intentional that I've fostered those relationships. You know, if anyone ever says anything to me about me being weird for not drinking, like I, they are blocked, removed from life so quickly. And I think that that's, that's a strength that you gain with age and with maturity is like, I don't need everyone to like me where when I was 19, it it felt like a need. Mm -hmm. Like it was like, if people don't like me, if I don't have this peer group, like, like you said, I'm missing out on a, a key aspect of life. That was harder too, because you wouldn't just go to a bar when you're 19 and have like a nice mocktail instead you're like not going to the frats. Like, yes. like it's a very different thing where now one of the key reasons that we created Absence of Proof was to create additional options. But even before I created this, I could still go to a nice restaurant with my friends and you know have a nice glass of non-alcoholic wine or whatever and still feel very much a part of the community. Yes. I do think that there's more and more non-alcoholic options becoming available and I'm seeing so many brands pop up. I loved it. Even Gary V, who are you familiar with Gary Vaynerchuk? I am obsessed with Gary Vee and the mocktail that he just posted, like his little prediction. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So he like his whole foundation is built upon an alcohol business. So I think what was so interesting was when he said in his post or his reel or whatever it was that he feels one of the fastest growing industries is going to be non-alcoholic drinks and beverages. I mean, it was really saying something because he's somebody who's been talking about wine and alcohol for so long. And he's just so on point with where things are trending in a variety of different industries. So I just feel this swell happening right now. We've got non-alcoholic beverage stores popping up like Sansorium. There are a lot of non-alcoholic beverage options in my DMs right now being like, can we work with you because (laughs) they're a new option for people. So I'm really noticing this swell of individuals who are drinking less or who are sober curious and just trying not drinking at all. What are you seeing in New York and LA? 
Yeah, it's a great question. And I agree. I think sometimes I get in my head of like, well, this is my company. So obviously, it's a skewed bias. Like this is trendy because I'm like living in the world of this being trendy. But I think seeing like all of the press that's coming out and I think seeing just the raw numbers of like year over year sales of these companies is pretty remarkable. And I don't really know any other industries that are growing as quickly as this is. To your point about like, you know, Gary V getting involved and all of that, like a lot of the people that sponsor me are backed by big alcohol companies. And so it's the big alcohol <laughs> that's really? like, oh, hey, this is a trend. Like we need to get involved. And I really love that because it, it makes it not competitive. We're not competing with alcohol. It, we're offering additional options. And I love seeing big alc get involved in that. Mm. I love how you say that, that you're providing different options. And it really doesn't feel like when you're talking that it's anti-drinking. And I certainly feel from a personal level that I am not anti-drinking and I never want to be that person that's like preaching to others. I just know what work has worked for me. And what I'm noticing with a lot of people that I work with, with a lot of clients who are struggling with disordered eating, body image things, anxiety and depression, we know that alcohol is not serving us in healing in any of those areas. And so it's becoming more a focal point of my conversations because it's something that's been so helpful for me personally. And then I'm also seeing it really benefiting those around me. Yeah. No, it's game changing. That's where I was too, as I was like, I'm so lost. I have no idea how to change my life, but let's let's remove the facts of being bad. Like like alcohol is factually bad for you, like Hubert said. So if you remove it, I mean crazy stuff could happen. And at the same time, like you said, I'm just I'm not a preacher. I don't want to tell people how to live their lives. It's none of my business whether you drink or not. So I can share my experience and how it's helped me. And then I can also provide options for experimenting. Because what I wouldn't want to have happen is someone who is sober curious does want to reevaluate their choices with alcohol and then they don't have a single option. Right. Like that's that's worst case. So that's what we're working to change. What have you noticed since not drinking the last year or so? Like what differences have you seen? Has it been really positive? Was there a big difference between allowing yourself some drinks here and there? I mean, I think for me, I'm a very all or nothing person. Like I, I'm kind of like, I'm doing no processed sugar. I'm doing all the processed sugar. Mm, (laughs) So it's just always how it's gone for me. And so for me, alcohol, just not drinking at all is much easier than drinking a little bit. And then also it's like, if you're just, just drinking a little bit, like what is the net positive? I just never saw the positive to that. And so in terms of the benefits that it's had to me, I would say mental health is number one. I've struggled with different mental health issues throughout my whole life. And I know that alcohol directly correlates to making those worse. I mean, it's crazy. Like I'll have one glass of wine the next day. The anxiety that I feel is just horrible. So it's not worth it. And then I would say just in terms of like my scheduling, the amount of free time that I now have, like the time that you get back just by removing alcohol is wild. It literally is like, you know, the, the movie Limitless where he like takes the pill. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm like, if you don't drink, the energy that you have is very similar to that. It's true. And your your energy levels are just so much more steady. The desire that I have to feel hung over and anxious on a Sunday, it's just zero. Like I don't want to waste any more days feeling like that ever, ever, ever again. It's terrible. Yeah. It's just not worth it. And I think what's so interesting that when you stop drinking, I was definitely like, well, I won't be as fun. The comment that I hear the most from my closest group of friends, and even when I'm, you know, I went to a wedding in Mexico where there were 
my close group of friends, but extended friends, is everyone always says, Erin's the one in the room who seems like she's drunk, but she's sober. (laughs) And I don't know if that's a compliment or if it's not, (laughs) but when you discover that you can actually tap into that fun part of yourself, that you can let yourself laugh and dance and be goofy and silly without alcohol, I mean, that's really powerful in and of itself. It totally is. And you also remember it. And you also remember the friends that you make. Like that's a big thing about absence events is like, yes, it's about not drinking or not consuming alcohol during that period. But it's more about the community and the friendships that you're forming where you actually have the opportunity to like get to know someone authentically and remember the conversation and like follow up and maintain that friendship. Yeah. So who's coming to these parties? Okay. So you, first of all, you partner up with a bar that generally serves alcohol and do a pop-up party. And so that night there's no alcohol at the event? So a little bit different, actually. So we actually started by partnering with coffee shops. And so we would take over the coffee shop in the evening um, and help bring new business to them as well. And then our speakeasy residency, every Friday, we open up a speakeasy bar in the West Village. Um, It's actually a private event space. So it's never open just for the public. And so we have the opportunity to really curate a full non-alcoholic bar experience rather than coming into an existing bar. Um, And that is also a way that we can keep it completely alcohol-free, which we love. Amazing. And who's coming to the parties? Oh my gosh. It's amazing to see the different demographics that come. I would say the first couple events, it was like me begging all my friends to come. <laughs> so it was people that were like very similar to me in my age. But I'm grateful that we've we've built a community where now it's everyone. I mean, I meet new people every time. I have people from grandparents. I mean, I have people who bring their parents. I have people that just turned 21 and they felt like they had to go party and they didn't want to, but now they can come here. So yeah, it's really, really special, the diversity that we have in our community. That's so cool. And would you say that a lot of the people that come do drink sometimes, or do you think that they're mostly sober individuals? I would say probably 50-50. I would say most people that come are at least a little bit on the sober curious spectrum, meaning that they want to be intentional about their alcohol consumption. And then I would say probably 50% of people are either sober, meaning in recovery, or just alcohol-free. They just don't choose to consume alcohol. So cool. I can't wait to yeah. check out one of these events. Do you think do you think that this will ever get to the point where you have actual locations that are absence of proof? Yeah, it's a great question. Bars? It's funny because when I first started this concept, that was the end goal. The end goal was to open a non-alcoholic bar in New York. Yeah. And then when I started doing this, I was like, wait, what is the part of this that I love? Like the part that I love is creating really exciting, memorable experiences, which is how we pivoted into more of an event company. So now Mm. we do weddings and corporate events and museum and galleries and all of these things. And yeah, it's been really fun. And I think being a mobile pop-up allows us to partner with a lot of different venues. So like next month, we're doing a party at a karaoke place and a club and a flower making workshop. So it's like we get to keep it really fun and exciting without having like a $30,000 a month New York lease that (laughs) we have to pay for as well, (laughs) which is always a plus on the business side of things. Yes. And you're you're in such early days as well that it's a great time in a business to see what unfolds and to notice and tune into like what, as you said, what you're really enjoying, who's interested in it and all of these things. But it's an exciting space to be in for sure. What are your favorite non-alcoholic drinks? Like if somebody's listening right now and they they want a few go-to drinks, what would you recommend? Do you have any recipes as well that we could link to that people could check out? So I don't have any published, but I'm happy to send you for the for the podcast listeners to get a sneak peek. Let's do that. Let's give them a little recipe that they can download. 
I love that. Yeah. So I think the question is a couple parts. So one, if you like love to make regular cocktails and want to continue that passion, but with non-alcoholic spirits, I think getting involved in the non-alcoholic rum, tequila, gin, whiskey world is really, really fun because it's pretty incredible that you can make all of the regular cocktails that you know and love just with non-alcoholic spirits. So I partner with Ritual Zero Proof on almost all of my events and they're great because they have whiskey, gin, tequila, and rum. So you can basically make all of the cocktails that you would normally want. So that's if you're in like the cocktail connoisseur section. But if you're just getting started and want to just try a non-alcoholic beverage, I think the wines are really awesome. So Shirley Wines or Prima Pave is amazing. And then there's also a ton of ready-to-drink cocktails where if you're just like, I just want a can of something to bring to a party, you can look at like Mingle Mocktails or Parch. There's even like CBD cocktails if you're open to that. I work with a a brand called Flyers and they're the, the best guys ever. So, Mm. so many amazing brands. Oh, I love that. On that note, okay, well, CBD is not really a drug, but when you talk about being sober, does that mean sober from all alcohol and drugs? I mean, there's now, we haven't really talked about this on the show, but here we go. There's like microdosing mushrooms, psilocybin, there's another like plant-based medicine movement going on. So what does sober mean to you? Yeah, it's such a great question. And that's why I hesitate with the word sober right. is that I think it can mean something different. Like I have a friend who, who says he's sober, but he smokes weed every day. It's a very personal decision. And I think me being very involved in the industry and also representing a company, I want to be very careful about the words that I use. So for me, I say alcohol-free because I, while I don't actively consume marijuana or microdose or any of those things, I do want to keep that option open for myself. I have pretty severe scoliosis. And so I wore a back brace like all through high school and it causes a lot of pain. And so I got my medical marijuana card very young and it was really helpful. So I don't do it right now, but I wouldn't want to like I would never want to portray a false image of like, I'm completely sober and then I'm not, you know? Mm, I love this. Actually, I feel like this is so important because a lot of people now are saying sober, 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 but it's like, what kind of sober are you? And and not that it really matters. It really doesn't matter at the end of the day. But I like what you said as well about the fact that for some people, sobriety isn't a choice and it mm-hmm. is a lot more complicated or it can feel a lot more difficult. And so I'm going to take that to, to heart and remember this whole like alcohol-free concept yeah. or, or way of, of talking about it, way of framing it. Love it. Totally. I think it's really important. What is your message for individuals who are thinking about reducing their alcohol intake or taking a break completely? If you had a room full of women, which you do right now, who are tuned in and listening, what would you say to them? Yeah, I would say a couple of things. I think one, if you're intimidated by the concept of cutting back or taking a break, I would find a friend that wants to do it with you. I think you'd be surprised how many people, particularly women, kind of want to do this, but they don't know where to start. So find a friend that's like, we're going to take a month-long break and then you can kind of check in with each other. I think the other thing is explore the mocktail options. There is so much out there now that you can actually, instead of feel like you're removing something and just have to drink water, like you get to explore a whole nother category of beverage, which is really exciting. And then to that same vein, like don't think about it like you're removing something or you're missing out, but think about all the things that you can now use that time for. So if you've had like a side hustle that you've been wanting to start or a hobby, like use that time to actually take the leap and start that because you have so many hours back now. Oh, I love this. (laughs) One thing that I noticed when I stopped drinking, and and I've heard this as well from a few people, is that the anxiety that I was feeling at the time, when you're not drinking, you don't have anything to take the edge off of that. And so there wasn't that break 
where I wouldn't feel the anxiety, but then the next day as well, like the anxiety wouldn't be worse. You mentioned that one of like the biggest benefits to not drinking for you was your mental health. Are you somebody who experiences anxiety or depression? Yeah. Anxiety is my primary. Depression comes in waves, but anxiety is always constant for me. Okay. So when you stopped drinking, what tools did you use or what practices did you lean into that supported your anxiety? Because I think sometimes when people stop, they're like, okay, I'm supposed to be feeling better now, but I just feel anxious. (laughs) So we have to then look at how do we support that anxiety? What are your tools or practices to support that area of your life? Yeah, it's a great question. And I would say number one, and I know this is not accessible to all people, but if you have the financial resources therapy, I cannot stress it enough because I can give all the advice in the world, but I'm not a doctor and these people are. And so it's like they can give you really tried and true practices, but I can relay what I've learned in my many years of therapy. And some of those strategies have been journaling. So every morning and every night, like without fail, I will I will journal kind of my thoughts in my day. And that allows that allows the break from the anxiety because it's like this dumping ground where you can just kind of get it all out. Yoga has been absolutely crucial in my life as well and some sort of meditation practice, whether that's yoga or running or whatever it is for you, but getting your body moving. And then one of like the therapy practices is the ability to sit with your anxiety instead of try to get rid of it. So kind of noticing the feeling that you're having and not placing judgment on it and knowing that anxiety is not going to kill you. It's incredibly uncomfortable and it's not to diminish that fact, but you can survive it. And if you can sit there and kind of honor the process of struggling through it, I have found that it goes away a lot quicker than when I'm like, get rid of this feeling. I'm uncomfortable. Let's drink. Yes. Ooh, love all of those. So she mentioned journaling, moving your body, some form of meditation, therapy, and then sitting with the feeling, just allowing it without judgment. All of those are beautiful things. When you're feeling anxiety, it's a sign that your fight flight system is on. And so the actions that we want to take are ones that will soothe the system that will help us shift back into rest digest. So everything Elizabeth just mentioned is really supporting the nervous system. Unfortunately, drinking and alcohol is something that stimulates that system even more so that we ultimately continue to feel anxious. So give it some time and and really lean into the patience that is required for our mind-body system to heal and to start feeling better. But yes, moving your body, meditation, staying hydrated, prioritizing sleep, cutting out alcohol, reducing stimulants. You've heard me talk about all of these things over and over and over on the show, and I'll just keep repeating it because it's not easy in this day and age to look after our little nervous systems, but I also know that there's so much benefit in doing so. Yeah, absolutely. Elizabeth, are there any sober individuals or let's – sorry, let's just start rephrasing this now. Any individuals or podcasts or resources that are supportive of those individuals who are sober curious or looking to take a more alcohol-free approach to drinking that inspire you or that our listeners could check out? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is a website blog called Zero Proof Nation. So it's founded by my friend Laura. She's amazing. She's been sober, I believe, for 15 years now. And she basically is just very passionate about providing resources for folks. So she has like a complete index, I guess, of all the non-alcoholic bars, bottle shops, et cetera, in the country, and also interviews amazing 
like founders and all of these people that are very involved in the space on her website. So that's a really great place to explore. My friend, she owns maybe a company, maybe an Instagram account, not sure, but it's called No Booze Babes. And it's an amazing Instagram account and community for people that are interested in forming more communities around not drinking or being sober curious. So those are two that I would say right off the bat. Okay, incredible. We'll link to those down in the show notes. There's going to be tons of resources down there, including a mocktail recipe that I will pop in there from Elizabeth. Elizabeth, where can people find you if they would like to attend one of the Absence of Proof events or follow you along on social? Yeah, so we're at Absence of Proof on Instagram and TikTok. And then we also are launching an email newsletter very shortly. So if you want to get ahead of the game and subscribe to that, you can do that on our website. Take what resonates from this episode today and leave the rest behind. Notice what piques your interest. Notice where fear comes up or discomfort or those limiting beliefs. Those are our teachers as well. Elizabeth, I can't thank you enough for joining me on the show today. It was such a pleasure to talk to you, and I'm so excited to watch what you're doing continue to unfold. Yeah, thank you so much. This was an amazing conversation. I really appreciate you having me. Thanks for taking the time to listen to this week's episode. Please take a moment to rate, review, or follow on your favorite podcast app and share this episode with someone that you think could benefit. Join the Raw Beauty Talks community at Raw Beauty Talks. And remember, it's your story, your body, your mind, and your journey. So think about what resonates with you and leave the rest behind. I'll see you next week.